We can, okay. we can talk about this on Blue Sky or whatever you want. I'm curious and I'm just trying to learn as well. Yeah, same, same. Uh, uh, the whole embroidery world, that's a whole other, like, entire universe. I remember something, uh, someone telling me something about that, that there exists something of a comic skate for embroidery and flash knitting or weaving or whatever people sure there's a podcast for that but tonight we're a podcast for bad demonic incest movies <laughs> yeah let's stop talking about racism and start talking about angel heart <laughs> jesus christ good evening and welcome to progressively horrified the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never Agreed. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, a podcast first. A movie that is still listed as being rated X. It's sexy, it's sweaty, it's real racist. It's Angel Heart. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Audience, you might be wondering, well, just how racist is racist? The hard R racist. Also, it's antique, like antique racial slur racism. (laughs) The thing that bothered me the most was really about, no, I'm not going to say the most because there's many things in this movie that upset me. But what most consistently upset me in every scene was how much I know that if this movie had come out a year later, Harry Angel would have been played by Bruce Willis. Like <laughs> This is the <laughs> most Bruce Willis role not played by Bruce Willis. And it's, yes. only, and it's only because this movie came out a year before Die Hard. Also with us tonight, the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Considering the Bruce Willis question, as many of us do... I don't know. Do you think that this movie would be as racist if it was starring Bruce Willis? I feel like it could only be as racist or more racist. I don't think there, <laughs> it could have been less racist. Yeah, I feel like Bruce Willis and his family are going through enough right now that we don't, we maybe not hypothetically drag him into a movie he was not That's in. That's fair. That's well, fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, Let's um, stick to his own film catalog at least. We're right. As, yeah. as you're already hearing, we have with us tonight two longtime friends of the podcast and frequent guests, writer editor Joe Corallo and writer reviewer Greg Silver. Guys, welcome back. It's good Thank to be you back. so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I do want to note before I forget, it since we're talking about what if in terms of who could start in this movie. Robert De Niro, according to what I read, was actually first approached to play what would become the Mickey Rourke role, but he wanted to play Satan instead, which mm-hmm. who could blame him? Right. I take that to mean De Niro looked at the schedule and was like, I want the role that sits down and only needs to be on set for two days. Yeah, yeah. Well, De Niro was was lead in a play on Broadway at the same time that they were filming this movie. That's wild. So, like, he wanted to yeah. be the devil in this so bad that he was like, I will do this while also doing, you know, five, six shows a week and two on Sunday, you know? That it's is just, wild. Yeah. Jack Nicholson was also considered for the 
Mickey Rourke role. I mean, I mean that <laughs> makes sense because so much of this movie feels like they had just watched Chinatown. Right. Yes. Very noir. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was remarkable to me because he is in a lot of cases like Jack Nicholson's character from Chinatown, except for Mickey Rourke is not comfortable being ugly. So no matter how many times he gets punched or thrown out or whatever, he comes out of it with no scratches other than like a gash on his hand. Like his face stays completely clean throughout the whole movie. His hair gets a little must and that's it. I don't know when there's a point where Mickey Rourke comes in and a baby just starts crying. And I had my notes, not the first or last time a baby starts crying at the sight of Mickey Rourke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sure. And this is, and we're we're talking pre-surgery Mickey Rourke. So like, he still like looks normal instead of like, you know, he'll, he'll have a bunch of, surgery to try and look younger and come out of it looking like the character he is in the wrestler if you've seen the wrestler well <laughs> yes yeah he's still uh pretty handsome in this movie although it's just sort of oozing he's got no ass i don't grease. like his ass his ass was upsetting to me I re- well the context of the ass was like it just very, very upsetting, upsetting. Very upsetting yeah. ass. Yeah. well it started out as statutory rape and then moved on from there into incest so yeah um yeah escalation so of this film in a, in a nutshell let me talk about some of the basics here this is uh, if we have to this is directed and, and co-written by alan parker who is a uh, recently deceased storied director he did Evita. he did angela's ashes he did mississippi burning he did pink floyd's the wall he is yeah. well regarded as won several oscars there are several oscar winning and nominated people in this film including as we said or actually let me also add that uh it is based on a, a story by william hoitsberg who also wrote the story on which legend is based so like the really movie legend the hot devils yes the legend with tim curry's the devil that was barely a story that was just like tom <laughs> cruise and robin shorts someone still wrote it <laughs> yeah, some, somebody had to have written it it happened at some point <laughs> i just um, like i'm like sorry miami I, vice still had a screenwriter credit but like i for the longest time i'm i i guess i like in I convinced myself that Legend was just like a vibe that Ridley Scott put together after the unicorn scene in Blade Runner where he's like, well, I got this unicorn and I want to have Tom Cruise jump around. Like, that's what I thought. Well, this is why, you know, unions are important because because of uh, the Writers Guild, you can't credit your screenplay to vibes. You have to put a person. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think if there's a person involved, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, sometimes that person is Alan Smithy. I mean... So, okay, so let's let's talk about who is in this film. Uh, we have mentioned, as this is a our December of of Satan, um, we are... We did do Saint this one December. because... Yeah, Satan-sember. Satan-sember. We did watch this one because Robert De Niro plays Louis Cipher... Steph's kiss of a name I am so mad at myself as someone who thought he was pretty good at puns that like I knew he was the devil for a while 
But I am so mad at myself for not realizing Louise Cipher was a pun until the very end of the movie. You when should Robert be De Niro mad at yourself. Literally said it, <laughs> like explained it out loud. Well, part of that is literally that he says, like Mickey Rourke says his name for some reason, Cipheri or something like that. Yeah. And the first time he meets the devil, he's like, no, it's Cipher. And then, like, <laughs> He doesn't Mickey Rourke doesn't put it together until the end of the movie and keeps saying it the wrong way throughout the film. Um, yeah, I, I was also confused, Greg, the first time. I, well, I wasn't confused, but I was also like Louis Sefer, and then I, but I didn't see like anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, was it too should distracted. be noted that Robert De Niro plays the devil in fresh acrylics. I have to say, <laughs> oh, Robert growing. De Niro's nails very upset me greatly. He he has recently, I mean, a, a good portion of this movie takes place in Harlem, and I can only assume that's where Robert De Niro got his nails done for this movie because he has spiky acrylics into his nails. We also have Mickey Rourke playing Harry Angel. Yes, his name is Harold Angel. If Blue Cipher didn't bother you enough, did did Harold you guys Angel. catch uh, where Harry Angel is from? I don't remember him saying it more than ten do, times. Do, do they? Do they? Actually, do they remember to say in the movie where he's from every three minutes? <laughs> Apparently, that's a get out of whatever. For, like that is just the excuse for anything. Does that work? I don't believe in God. He I'm literally from says, New York. "I'm in." Like I'm, of course, I'm an atheist. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally um, every three minutes, he's just going around being like, "Hey, I'm from Brooklyn over here." <laughs> Yeah, we also have uh, Lisa Benet playing Epiphany Proudfoot. This was her first film role coming off of just having been on The Cosby Show for quite a while at that point. She will be topless in this movie for almost as much time as she is on screen. Uh, I did the math. I am sorry to say that Lisa Bonet is 18 when she filmed this movie yep. and Mickey Rourke is 33. Yep. That's... Um, I didn't like this movie. Uh, but in in all fairness, they're supposed there. You're not supposed to like that that happened. Yeah, and yeah. that is the the <laughs> distance between Very them that true. there should Very be true. at least. Yeah, or yes. particular plot specific elements. Yes, which we will discuss. <laughs> also features oh, Charlotte yeah, Rampling, I mean, Oscar winner Charlotte Rampling. What if Oedipus? Rex was the opposite direction and also film noir. <laughs> and I, I do have, also feel like it's necessary to mention that uh, Tooth Sweet is played by Brownie McGee, which is, boy, just a great name, but also uh, that he does actually, you know, play a good chunk of the soundtrack in this because he's a real uh, blues musician. So I was going to say, Brownie McGee sounds like a better blues name than Tooth Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I love how they continue to call him. Like at one point, he calls him Harry, calls him Mister Sweet, as if there's any chance Toot Sweet is his real name. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I understand calling him Toots or or whatever, but like clearly his last name is not Mister Sweet. Um, yeah, that's not his government name. Um, <laughs> that's so his Christian name, if you will. I I did a quick recap on this. And to change things up a little bit, Emily, would you read the uh, recap that I wrote for this movie? Sure. <laughs> Ooh. I am on the spot here. You were in the document, so. I am in the document. This I told Jeremy the other night, I, I said, Jeremy, you're, you're in charge of the recap. 
And Jeremy uh, just throwing that right back in at you. Mark, recap, point he one. He played the Uno reverse card. God, I'm going to the Shadow Realm, apparently. <laughs> so let's see what we got here. Director, writers, stars. Recap, this fucking movie. I mean, this fucking movie. Can you believe this fucking movie? Honestly. No, honestly. That's my whole recap. That's your whole recap. Um, Do we not want to actually say what happens in it? I mean, here, I'll give you a more detailed recap. Mickey Rourke is film noir guy. Robert De Niro is devil and hires film noir guy. Film noir guy does film noir, film noir, film noir. Everyone he film noirs dies along the way. Statutory rape, incest. Predictable reveal that Mickey Rourke was guy he was looking for all along. <laughs> but De not Niro in the fun way. Is not in the, like heartwarming way. Not like yeah. he was the person he was looking for all along. <laughs> like Jesus, I was the guy. Yeah, he was. I yeah, was, not was it the a, friends he made along the way because they yeah, but, not not in a Johnny favorite. Not if like the real Johnny Favorite, like Johnny Favorite is a feeling in your heart. Like <laughs> no, I mean, not it's like a feeling that. in somebody's heart. And then at the end, he takes the magical elevator to hell. The um, end. Yeah. So, I mean, just to. How'd I do? Sure. That's, that's accurate. I, I do want to say that what we discover has happened at the end of this movie is this man who has, he has been going through looking for this guy, Johnny Favorite, who is a singer, who he is hired by a guy named. Okay. I have to actually go back here. As we've discussed, Mickey Rourke's character is a film noir P.I. His name is Harold Angel because this movie thinks subtlety is for suckers. Um, Mm -hmm. He gets hired by a group, by a a pair of lawyers, by a law firm called Winesap and Macintosh, which, if you're keeping score, are types of apples Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) that are working for a man named Louis Cipher who he will spell out by the end of the movie is just a cool nickname for Lucifer. Also is clearly the devil from the beginning. Oh, I mean, can we also talk about how uncomfortably bushy De Niro's beard is? I really like like De Niro in this movie. I like De Niro's outfit. I like his stupid nails. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Yeah. The advocate, if you will. Is is that the beard that he then shaved down into the goatee for heat? (laughs) I mean, I gotta say, like, that, the first time I watched this movie, my takeaway was Robert De Niro is the devil, because he's fucking great. Like, he is creepy. Any moment that he is on scene is the best moment in this movie. Unfortunately, he is missing from a good chunk of this movie. He's just the client. He was doing a Broadway play at the same time. I I counted. He was in four scenes. Yeah. Mickey Rourke has an extraordinary skill for lighting matches on nearly anything. He's a very good at it, which means he was meant to be a private detective in a, in a noir film. Well, I think it just shows how flammable the 1950s were. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, well, those matches, those strike anywhere matches. Those buildings probably had asbestos. So, yeah. <laughs> so he is hired by this guy, Louis Cipher, to find this guy called Johnny Favorite who he has a contract with that he wants to enforce because Johnny owes him something upon his death. 
John, he does not know if Johnny is dead. Johnny has disappeared somewhere. Very clearly, this is a musician who made a deal with the devil and is trying to get out of it in some way. It's pretty it's easy to figure out from the beginning. Yeah. At all. And, yeah. And very obvious. Harry is following this path through these various people that are related to this story. And as he's doing it, they keep turning up dead. He'll interview somebody, talk to them, step away for five minutes, come back, and the person is dead. And the movie really wants you to think that it's the devil doing it. And that's not wholly incorrect, but it's much worse than that. <laughs> so, like, Harry tracks down, like, this, he's tracking down this woman who used to be Johnny's girlfriend and ends up tracking her back to New Orleans Turns out she's dead, and he ends up talking to her daughter, Epiphany, played by Lisa Bonet. He ends up following around Epiphany and discovering that, one, she's a voodoo priestess, because of course she is in this film. She is uh, spends most of her time at least half topless, and that she is she eventually tells her that, or tells him that she is Johnny Favorite's daughter, and that her mother was also a voodoo priestess. That is. Fine, There's a whole thing about chickens here that goes nowhere. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. okay. Do the chickens go somewhere? The whole point, the chickens are symbolic of victimization. And his fear, he's afraid of chickens because he's afraid of being a victim. And that's why, it, you know, it ties into the voodoo elements of it. I'm not saying it's not problematic, but that's what they're <laughs> doing. Is the chicken? Oh, this movie's are... depiction of voodoo is very problematic. Yeah, from a thematic aspect, Joe, you're absolutely right. From a story aspect, the fact that this, like, the chickens keep showing up in this movie the way that snakes show up for Indiana Jones is the funniest <laughs> fucking thing for yes, me. That's oh, no. exactly. Every scene is like chickens. Why did it have to be chickens? And instead right. of like I, dropping I into the caves, it's like he's just like driving up to a farm <laughs> and being like, oh, here we go again. It's like the ducks. He is in such a chicken-centric mystery right now. There's so few chickens in film noir movies, and somehow he's got all of them. <laughs> they couldn't do pigeons. He deals better with the attack dog than he does the chickens. Yeah. yeah. I really, like up top, I just want to say, okay, about this movie before we get into the um the politics they're in and well, hang, and... hang on, let me okay, let me finish talking about what the plot of the movie is. Oh, I thought, sorry, um, I I missed. <laughs> no, uh, so <laughs> the second time he meets Epiphany, she shows up at his apartment and decides to have wild sex with him. There is a long sex scene, which is the reason that this movie was originally rated X. They cut ten seconds of it to get into the theaters in the first place, but. That 10 seconds is back now. So if you wanted to really see Mickey Rourke sort of doing a dolphin motion on a bed over, over Lisa Bonet <laughs> for a solid five minutes, hey, this is your movie. Ugh. There is a lot of blood involved in this scene, though it is unclear where it's coming from. It's just, I guess, general black magic blood. And then like-, like he goes off to follow up with some of this other stuff, runs into a guy who... Uh, basically lays out the whole thing for him that this guy who is the father of Charlotte Rampling's character, who is also into voodoo, helped Johnny Favorite escape. 
by paying off the doctors and disappearing him, he got a new face. He disappeared. And uh, also, he did a whole voodoo thing where he transferred his soul into another dude's body by cutting his heart out and eating it. Yep, and he ate it. Yep. That was the implication. He nommed it all up. Statement. Um, While and, still beating, mind you, because yeah. that's how hearts work, I guess. How He's that bloodthirsty, this Johnny favorite. And this guy know, wants to tell him all of this because when he sees him, he still just sees Johnny because it was Harry the whole time. Harry was a guy that was killed by Johnny and then has his soul put in Johnny's body. And Johnny conveniently made himself forget all of this uh, shit that he'd done so that he could continue to avoid paying his contract with the devil. At which point we find out that he has actually been doing all the murders. Harry has been murdering everybody under the influence of the devil while he's having well, I don't weird think dreams. Harry caused the amnesia. I think like that was the plan and the well, except then Harry did actually get drafted for real and then got fucked up in the war. Yeah, uh, yeah I but... think, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> there are... That wasn't part of the plan. There, now, you know, again, there, there are a couple of different ways you can approach this and look at what they're doing. And I think it's worth doing because, again, Alan Parker is a well-renowned director who's won a ton of awards. And uh, I still like Mississippi Burning, still a favorite of mine. Even Bugsy Malone. I love Bugsy Malone for completely different reasons. It's a silly movie, but... I mean, you can look at the movie as he didn't do any of this. The devil did it. And it's a movie about people who, you know, it's about victimization, self-victimization, blaming yourself. He's been tricked. And they even allude to that in the beginning when he's like, what, you just look through the phone book and pick like the first name that, <laughs> that came up. And that's not necessarily not the case that the right. devil is angry that someone tricked him so he is now tricking someone else to you, you know like i still need someone to suffer so i'm going to pick the first name in the phone book and make them suffer and the way the movie plays out a little Jonah like, in the whale yeah, it is done in a way where it's very feasible because it's like, yeah, when you look at it, if you're like, yeah, this all falls apart, it's like, yeah, it does, because that's not what happened. And yeah. like there yeah. you can I think it is worth potentially looking at it from that point of view because it's an Alan Parker film, because you have you know, all of these pretty talented accomplished you know actors and people involved in it so so i think it is worth you know considering that interpretation as well well in terms of that i i i i really want to say i was surprised that i disliked this movie because like i I don't think i had actually ever seen any of alan parker's films but yeah he's such such a legendary director you've got Robert De Niro at yeah, I, I I guess that was probably like what you would consider his prime. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Looking really good. And, and it was a very well reviewed. I, it's at like 80 something on Rotten Tomato. Um I mean, I think it was well reviewed later on. I think yeah. at the time it seemed to have been largely panned. 
Siskel hated it. Well, I watched Siskel's like review and he I just like rips it. it apart. Cause look, no for whatever you like about the movie, this is also a movie where they play as like audio caption as like narration caption. Uh just lines from the scene that happened 30 seconds prior. Yeah, I was not yeah. just just not in case we that. forgot the exposition and needed nope. like our RPG quest marker. No, I, I, I do want to say, just plot wise, there is one more thing that happens, which is after he realizes that he's done all of these things, he also realizes he also goes back to his hotel room because he realizes that one uh, Epiphany Proudfoot, who he had long sex with, is actually his daughter. Two, that he killed her. Three, apparently he killed her by sticking his gun into her vagina and firing oh which is yeah. not not but <laughs> what i was one expecting here at that point too yeah. well you see the scene of him strangling her so you think it'd be oh for in real life he actually did strangle her to death instead of letting go and it's yeah. no no way worse yeah way, way the, worse the cop says that they found his gun inside her which is like Several degrees of like we didn't need that. No, like, but that was the one death out of all of them that Devil probably framed him for because the way the movie, like the timeline, doesn't make sense. The timeline is very strange because we do know that they had sex and then the cops showed up and commented on the fact that she was (laughs) there because that is the scene where we get the antique racism. They use the J word. (laughs) <laughs> which is not one you hear too often anymore even nope. like i live in the south it, it's it's wild also how i you gotta appreciate how sweaty the overweight cop was in that yes <laughs> like well, bruce yeah. willis is sweaty because he woke up from like bruce willis mickey rourke is sweaty because he woke up <laughs> from a nightmare fat cop is sweaty because he is a sweaty man. I just, the evil makes you perspirate. Everyone being a large man myself, yes. I cannot imagine being that large and living in New Orleans. Like, <laughs> having to, and having a job where I have to wear it's a suit swappy. all day. Like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> I don't know how anyone lives in humid weather. Like, I yeah. don't. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine yeah. the humidity of that gumbo hut? My God, I, I was thinking Just about big that. Fucking gumbo like, cauldron. Oh, I did forget to mention that he does murder a man with gumbo. He does shove yes. a man's face into gumbo and murder him. That's uh, how I wanted to die. For the record, <laughs> throw me into the gumbo. <laughs> I mean, I do I mean, have to say, it does get some points for that being the first time I've ever seen that as a murder weapon. Death by gumbo. More yeah. movies. There needs to be like this new genre of New Orleans horror with like specific deaths by jumbo. Well, 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 we could also use like a death by a jambalaya. I mean, if you have acid reflux, then like <laughs> automatically, like you In know, there, buddy. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of that. Uh, was it the Simpsons a spinoff uh, showcase with uh, yes, you know, Skinner and Wiggum? Skinner, yes. yeah, Skinner and Wiggum in New Orleans. Yes, and, and Skinner is all like, New Orleans isn't really a party town. Oh, <laughs> uh, good times. So I do want to say my little piece here about this movie because, like. 
there are some really cool ideas here. There's a really cool story about selling your soul and what that means to avoid responsibility and all this kind of stuff and being hoisted on your own petard and all that kind. But the unfortunate thing is that the movie doesn't really have a way, like the movie doesn't present these themes very clearly. The the Amnesia angle really muddies it all because you spend the whole movie, because the whole idea, what you're saying with like a sell your soul to the devil movie is it's all about being hoisted by your petard, like trying to cheat the devil and failing. But we spend the whole movie following a guy who doesn't even know that that's what he's doing. Yeah, that the ultimate twist yeah. of the movie is that was my petard. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> yeah, it's like you're watching yeah. this guy be followed by this petard the whole time, and then like you know you just never see a shot of his hand on it, but it's always there. And then when it's when he goes through him, and he's like, "Oh shit, this was mine!" Like it's not really that poignant so to speak i i I think part of it is the um there part of the plot gets too convoluted where you get lost in the details because well that's just like noir at its work that's just like but i mean it does that bad i mean it does that thing that i sometimes really dislike in noir where like it gets so lost in its own plot details that like you forget what's going on or why you, you're supposed to care about what the protagonist is doing. And we have yeah. these characters come in that are great. You know, like we have the guy at Coney Island and then like once. Oh, it, my God. Can we talk about the fucking most New York man of all time? <laughs> I love that guy. New York wife. Yeah. Like those characters were great. But like the second that we got into Louisiana, it was just like this weird. See, like, here's the thing is. I have not read the book, but I know that the book is set entirely in New York and all of the Louisiana stuff was added by or transferred by Alan Parker. It sounds like Alan Parker wanted to vacation in New Orleans and wanted the studio to pay for it. And like talk about voodoo, I guess. And I have to say, like, I have this movie on digital video disc, if you guys are familiar. Um, I am. And it has a a single featurette on it, just labeled featurette. (laughs) because uh, yeah but like in the featurette there's a lot of like alan parker talking about voodoo as a religion that a lot of people follow in the united states and like just really talking about it in a way that just really sounds like he's talking out of his ass and like, I mean, it, it was literally really like watching like this feature after I finished the movie made me like the movie less. Yeah, it sounds, I don't know, maybe a little bit fetishy. Well, I mean, also okay. that we have a, a British director who is like really interested in this like black culture in Louisiana and like has like a distinctly fetishy issue here. Like a, not to... Unfortunately, are you I, accusing I am... this movie that routinely shows a teenage Lisa Bonet topless is fetishy? I hate. I mean, I hate to be made by movies to agree with people that I don't like. But like, I had this discussion with Alicia about the fact that when we watched it, we ended up agreeing with Bill Cosby. <laughs> because Bill Cosby not a place you ever want to be Bill Cosby and Lisa Bonet had a falling out over this movie because she was coming off of like Bill Cosby is sort of the notoriously a, like a values person right so like 
you know, he was. He, he does have notorious values. <laughs> well, yes. <yeah. laughs> At that time, Cosby yeah, yeah. was more notorious with like, oh, it's important that on the Cosby show, we show black people doing professional jobs and being a loving family and not doing things that are stereotypical to black depiction in Hollywood. And yeah. that Lisa Bonet went off and did this movie in which she is a mostly naked voodoo priestess uh, and that all black people do in this movie, according to Cosby, and he's not wrong, is play music, do voodoo, have sex and die. Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, the big depiction that I want to talk about. So that so now I have a whole nother reason to dislike this movie is that it makes me agree with Bill Cosby on something. I mean, sure. broken clocks can be right at least once. I would. That was one of the reasons I was stoked to see this movie, though, is I was like, "Oh, Bill Cosby hated it. <laughs> it must rule." Like no. I gotta say, was Cosby Show still going on when this movie? Oh yeah, came? oh yeah, very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Okay, I kind. Having now seen the movie, I kind of get why he'd be like, why this definitely isn't great for the show's brand. Yeah. Well, I totally get that. I feel that. I also overall didn't like the movie that much for various reasons. But, you know, I, I do think, like you're saying, there, there's that, there's that like uh, delineation or whatever between like fetishization. There's definitely, you know, stuff that, I don't think would fly today and other things, but I never, it never felt like directly like derogatory or malicious towards the, the, the people it felt like. I will say a, if, if we had gotten a movie where Jennifer Lawrence just fucking like smeared chicken blood all over herself and then fucked a Hemsworth brother, that last Hunger Games movie definitely would have made more money. <laughs> oh my god, 100%. Because the movie also, ultimately, despite everything that happens, and there's a lot of stuff that, again, I wasn't necessarily thrilled with, I wouldn't have done, I overall didn't like the movie, but it does make it a point Mickey Rourke, and a lot of people make this point outside this movie, is the worst person to have ever lived. Yeah, yes. I mean, I don't think it's trying to apologize for the <laughs> yeah. anti-racism or all the like the horrible, yeah. horrible shit. Like, it's I, not, it's depicting all of this in, like, gruesome detail. You know, there's certainly things that we do not need, like, you know, 10-minute yeah. like, blood incest rape Oof. scene. I do want to, for as much as I criticize the movie for, I do want to give a shout out to a truly great acting performance. And that is during the blood incest, like orgy scene. Uh, there's one extra in the orgy scene who is just like smashing her head into a guy's face. Yes. Just with everything she's got. Uh, and I don't know who this do. woman is, but what a champion. <laughs> just, just beating a man to death with her own tit. I mean, I think that that should happen more often just in in general, in like, you know, fantasy, just to say, because, you know. Regular cat of nine tits, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that was a Go Nagai spinoff series. No, um, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I don't think it actually is, but I think that that 
that does occur. Out of uh, nine dicks is definitely a weapon someone used to fight with in Golden Kamui, though. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the fantasy RPG fatal. But um, I mean, on, on the front of, of what Joe is saying, I think that this movie is well made in a lot of ways. Like the, the filming is done very well. The period stuff is really interesting to me because I, I read quite a bit on it and that it is set, it's I, set during the 50s and so much of yeah. the clothing and everything is is not just historically accurate, but more historically accurate than these things usually are because these people are not rich people. So they used a lot of stuff that would have been period appropriate to the 40s and 30s. So like, you know, everybody is is dressed in the way they would have dressed, not in like the hottest new fashions. You know, they really I, went out of their way for historical accuracy on a, a lot of the way and things really, look, um, which is, is part of why, like, it is bothersome to me thinking about all the all the pains they went through to get some things right. That, like, there was very clearly no interest in, in getting things about voodoo and black culture correct. I think a lot about the, like, when we're talking about this Killers of the Flower Moon is just come out in the last few weeks fantastic and movie yeah and there's a lot of discussion about how martin scorsese went to the osage people and sort of like asked for authenticity reader type notes on things like what kind of stuff should be in there what would you know make it better for them and like this movie clearly didn't have anything like that they were not interested in like really understanding some of the stuff they were building it out of so i feel like it's ultimately like it's ultimately a really beautiful house that's been extremely poorly built, like with with shit yeah. materials. Sure. You know? Yeah, I mean, but this like is a plot, some of that is. Well, this is a plot that definitely could have used more understanding and respect for voodoo, but at the end, you do end up with an understanding of it that's about on par with the child's play movies. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I don't know really anything about voodoo. Well, it's not called voodoo. That's where you fucking start. That's not attack on you. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to yell. I hope that. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm yelling, saying yelling this movie movies. raised my total knowledge of voodoo by zero. Yeah, it like barely even registered with me that like this is supposed to be a voodoo thing because like I feel like they didn't say that for a while. They just kind of assumed. That we, the viewer, would be like, oh, black people in Louisiana doing weird magic equals voodoo. Like, I had no idea what was going on. But uh, I did want to ask you guys, in terms of uh, a lot of the more unpleasant parts of this movie, it, it kind of has to be compared to Old Boy, right? Like, I, I don't know how many of you have seen Old Boy. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, this movie is definitely in the trinity of fucking your daughter movies alongside Old Boy and Demolition Man. <laughs> oh, I have not. And if seen you're that saying, one. I don't remember that part of Demolition Man, fucking start reading between lines. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sandra Bullock is his daughter in Demolition Man. Convince me otherwise. But, but yeah, like, what, what is it about, like, this movie that made all that? unpleasant stuff in a horror movie where we're expecting to some degree very unpleasant stuff like what made it not work in this movie but it did work for well i can't think of any examples i think what hurts of this movie is that like a lot of what 
I think this movie fell into a lot of the traps that affect like bad noir movies. I think it was too preoccupied with being noir. Yeah. Without yeah. being like on topic with the story. Because I feel like if there is a like it, maybe someone can do like a phantom edit of this movie and actually make it make sense because there's there is something there. And the voodoo I, thing, yeah, feels tokeny and fetishy and it just doesn't like if it's all in New York and it's like satanic rituals, then sure, let's keep it with satanic rituals. Let's, you know, we don't have to involve voodoo or Vodon or anything like that is honestly going to be fetishized in this case because like we're in Louisiana and then, you know, people go to people crazy, you know, or whatever. Like it's a very outsider I uh, think, view. I think there's the, sorry. Oh, sorry, Joe. No, no, no. I was going to say, I, I mean, part of it again is really the convoluted story you're trying to follow. What takes away from the movie for me. And I think some of the other things that are being alluded to absolutely. are, being like, wait a minute. Okay, so New Year's 1942, but then the murder is the year. So the murder was the year. And okay, so it's 1942, and then the murder is the 1943, and then okay, so it's shipped up to the the place. And those those two other people, who are they? Why do I have to? And then you don't see the guy until like almost the end of the movie, and you're like, okay, so I'm waiting for there's this guy and then okay so the doctor and he's a morphine addict i guess that's important oh he's dead i i guess it's not okay why does he killed and all right yeah. and now we're back at Harlem, and now it we're talking like to it, other people yeah i feel like, like i what we played an rpg in the wrong order of events right like we just did the wrong side quest first, and now I'm like, I don't know where, I don't know where Sephiroth. Accidentally ended up in the DLC and, before you finished the game. Yeah, like, <laughs> I do think it comes back to the noir elements and the misuse of noir. Like, like just to compare it to Chinatown, another sure, yeah. noir movie with incest that works way better. Oh uh, yeah, mainly yeah, because the main character doesn't do the incest. Yeah, yeah that's viewed overall as a negative. But be like, yeah, I think <laughs> it's so easy for noir to fall into that. Just kind of like it's so hard to follow, and you need to keep track of so much, and you're not necessarily invested in what's going on. But that's worked well, like in something like Chinatown, it's done to show like, oh, the main hero is such a small part of this much larger system and world and he's so small and not only and it's so big not only can he not change it or confront it he can't even fully understand it and neither yeah. can you whereas with this it's just a weird hard to follow plot that you're not very invested like even he's not yeah. very invested in it where he's like I'm no. looking for this guy I don't know I'm getting paid to and what are you going to do when you find him I yeah, like he's yeah. not invested and we're not invested. So it's just hard to follow. And then it's and then it, it does something like it starts as statutory rape and then graduates to incest. It it's a hat on a hat and the hats are sex crimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm with you. I, I, I love noir. I feel like such an essential part of noir is that the main character has to kind of be a piece of shit. But yeah. like 
you know, there there's a motivation just for him acting like a piece of shit. Like there's a, you know, there, there, there's a clear thing that he's looking for in his life that, you know, is now or gone or has never been there. And now he, you know, is Humphrey Bogart or whatever. Yeah. You know, he just yeah. got Humphrey Bogart disease. And yeah. also the dame that walked into his life is long hair Robert De Niro. I, yeah, there was no real femme fatale in this movie. Yeah. Like, I, I kept thinking he was his own femme fatale in this movie. Yeah, I think, I mean, as Mask a femme fatale, fatale. Yeah. That, I mean, that's pretty good. And I, I wish he did more of that. But like, I, Ben, what you said is so on the nose with just the core issue with this movie, like, you know, not just the hat on the hat, and I'm not talking about the sex crime hat on the hat, but the fact that every hat this movie tries to wear, except for that one, is sort of like, I have a hat, and then it doesn't do anything with it. One of the depictions that I really want to talk about is what I mentioned earlier. We have all the Louisiana stuff. We have all the the voodoo stuff. Not, you know, not stellar in that representation but then we have this weird situation in harlem with this priest who's telling everyone that he's god and then he's making everybody like carrying around on a palanquin and like that shit feels that was the thing to me that felt most like prophetic almost about this movie that it really like it feels like prosperity gospel shit that still happens now that people are like yeah, yeah. If why you, was that if you love me, if I'm important to you, there. just give me. Uh, I, I need to have a plane. That's uh, yeah. Uh, but, that's but, 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 that, like that, but thematically, what did you know? You know wh- what did that have to do with the rest of the movie? Yeah, like, like, like that that's what's like so frustrating about it to me. It felt like the preacher in Akira, where they're just there, and then you look it up online. It's like, oh, this person played a larger role in like the manga that adapted a bunch of. <laughs> well, I, I feel like. There's a lot of stuff like like that that's meant to like point a finger at religion and be like, oh, these guys are just as corrupt as these guys. And like that would make sense if fucking Mickey Rourke knew anything about religion in this movie or cared about religion in this movie. The fact that they place him as an atheist who knows nothing about the devil or Christianity or voodoo or any of this stuff is just like that part is like, why? Like, yeah, like also noir guys need to be like have fallen out of faith right like yeah they 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 had a thing that was good before and it betrayed them and now they're like ah fuck it that stuff is bad ostensibly he has amnesia but the movie doesn't tell you he has amnesia he doesn't ever mention i don't remember anything about my life before 15 years ago when i came back from the war no in fact he's always like i'm from brooklyn i remember my brooklyn childhood so clearly it's um yeah i i just gotta say the frequent flashbacks to you know that famous i I guess it was ve day where like you know everybody was celebrating in new york it almost seems to imply because we have so other and so little other information going on here. It almost seems to imply at parts that part of the reason he started to kind of have a downfall was because he felt bad that he couldn't be in the big party because yeah. he got discharged from the military early. Well, the, but that's well, the I, thing is that, that that happens before he goes into the military. Like he kills the, the soldier 
before he's drafted. And then he forgets about his whole like weird shit that like because he he's trying to um make this deal for immortality and then he gets fucked up in the war and then I, that's is that am i remembering this wrong because that's what i thought like he i i, I, I honestly don't know it's around it's close but like again this is why i really think that what this movie was probably trying to do was intentionally be over convoluted because that's not what's happening and the devil is just fucking with the first guy he came up to in the phone book is like that that makes the most sense that's Mm -hmm. that's the path where i can like go to sleep tonight you know and be like (laughs) oh i like i can you know, well, but, well um, I, I, I should say that uh, there, there's a part of me um, that wonders if I have enjoyed this movie more had I not known that Robert De Niro plays the devil or that the devil. How can you has... not know that Robert De Niro <laughs> plays the devil, though? <laughs> Robert De Niro practically walks to this movie with a big neon sign that's pointed to him going, ah, the devil just like it's played like a twist and i wanted to experience that twist but i knew the twist before the movie even started like yeah. well, i don't know it's how like... anybody with any like media savvy could watch the scene of him eating an egg and not be oh like my God, that guy's the, the egg scene. devil the <laughs> most oh, thank you for bringing up egg shelling in the history of film and possibly humanity, Des- I mean, apparently- desperate to know how many takes they filmed of that. Like, how many times did they make Robert De Niro just bite into and eat half a hard boiled egg? Uh, apparently, Robert De Niro was so like eerie and, and fucking scary in this part that Alan Parker just didn't direct him. Alan Parker just let him do his own thing. Who did it? And yeah, apparently did not even like to approach him on screen, like when they were filming. I, I, I get, get that, but but also in, in part of this because it doesn't make sense is like when he's doing the explanation with him and the lawyer, and they're just like, yeah, you know, uh, to make sure that he was still alive, we'd call this facility once a year to check that he was still there, and then we happened to be in the neighborhood like 12 years later like you know like all these pieces that it's just like what are you even talking about like yeah like there's a i feel like if they had just said he was the devil up front that like this movie would be better because like when he's like trying to mask it through the conversation even though, like, you as a viewer know, like, immediately, like, this guy's the fucking devil. Um, yeah. Like, but the fact that they're, like, masking it through the conversation, he's like, oh, I had a contract with this man, you know, where he owed me something <laughs> on death. And it seems like maybe he's dead and not fessing up to it. It's like, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I need to get dead. into, like, do you not know if he's dead? But like, and like is okay, your devil know? reliant on like obituaries in the local papers? Oh, gotta yeah. pick this guy up. Shit. Yeah, it's like I don't know. There's this certain like, I mean, ultimately, what it is is that I guess 
it seems the way they're playing it, and this is a discussion Alicia and I after watching the movie, is that like he he only owes the devil his soul if he realizes he owes the devil his soul. So like the devil has to like torture him into realizing that he's done these horrible things in order for him to be like, shit, I sold the devil my soul. And then he owes the devil his soul. Well, I think it's, that a lot yeah, of that I don't is know, it's wild. Is I mean, I it's the double playing with him and fucking with him like i feel like that's a big part of it now it doesn't make sense i wish like torment is what he does right so what we had during this movie was that his wish is still active like like the deal he made so throughout the movie he's just inexplicably getting offered record deals and music career opportunities (laughs) i have a question about that there is a scene where we briefly hear uh, a recording of what is supposedly Johnny Perfect. Uh, Johnny or Johnny Famous. Yeah. Favorite. Whatever his name was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Johnny Liebling. I, I'm, yeah. yeah. No, Johnny Favorite. Uh, great crooner name. Yeah. yeah. Jo- Johnny Favorite. And uh, is that Mickey Rourke's singing voice? Because that's not what I imagine mickey rourke would sound like if he were to sing well i think that the mickey rourkeness of this character came from harry angel and not from johnny liebling but i don't know if that's his it sounded like very very just uh normal crooning like it was what's the word i'm looking for normal everyday just like stock croon music crooner you know like well, I'm either the moon type of dealios. Yeah, yeah, but let's not. I mean, I don't want to. Jack Daddy. I, <laughs> I don't want to bring fly me to the moon into this, but. um. Oh, right. Evangelion. <laughs> Fine. Uh, seven... That wheel eyes matter. When I was 17. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's like. Oh, that's a little on the for this movie. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. It's getting worse. <laughs> it got you, Brad. <laughs> How about New York, New York? That's New that's York, New York. York. <laughs> there yeah. we go. Yeah, there we go. You did it, Joe. Um, you saved the podcast. Don't think about all the lyrics. It might undo it. Well, yeah. Mostly fine, I think. But, you know. <laughs> Don't think about the movie Manhattan. I'll tell you that. Remember, he's Boy. from Brooklyn. Right. <laughs> Keep calm and continue not thinking about the movie Manhattan. Uh, Never think about the movie Manhattan. I'm just gonna think about Oppenheimer instead. Yeah, like generic is the word I was looking for. Yeah, <laughs> it's a generic critic. Yeah, and I'm. It's weird because like you think that the fact that this guy was a musician, the music would factor in more. Like we would have. I know we have some music in this movie, and it's good. But There's like, like one part where he plays a note on a piano. Yeah, or like I don't know. Like I feel it was just all so convoluted that it didn't quite it didn't commit to any bit enough yeah except for you know the, the uncomfortable parts which like on one hand horror but you know you need something you need well, some the, bread this, in that sandwich this, this didn't even really feel like a horror movie to me and i don't just mean that in the sense that with the exception of one very upsetting scene that we've discussed Multiple times. I mean, uh-huh. we do have the scene that was also just a dream sequence where it's like his hand was just a fucking blood, like juicy gusher. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm here with gory. It wasn't horror, but I just like that. Blood, that never, like just how never much really gave me a sense of dread, you know? Like, I never really felt like they were trying to make me, like, worry about what happens next. They just kind of yeah move from situation to situation, and we never really marinate in any of it to be creeped out. I can't understand it. Well. Like, like there, there are gory images in this movie, and it is about the devil. So I understand why people would call it a horror movie, but it either was marketed as a horror movie when it had no business being marketed as such, or it's like it, I know he's a very well respected director. It feels like Alan Parker had never seen a horror movie. I, I mean, I think it was a noir movie primarily. Like it was, yeah, yeah. I, I'm horror. fine. I'm fine with calling it a noir movie. It's bad noir, <laughs> but you know, it it fits most of the boxes. Agreed. Agreed on that front. I mean, yeah. the, the toughest yep, thing yep. about it is it's not even the same level of like tense. Not just of a horror movie, but of a normal noir movie. There's at least some point where you have this like feeling of the. Everything closing in on the main character of, of things going wrong. Of like, there are people who are going to kill him, and like, yeah. there's he just has to get randomly attacked by like fucking Team Rocket and Dog Meowth like every twenty <laughs> minutes. Oh, I do appreciate yeah. him walking up to that guy's window, fucking headbutting him in the face, and then slamming his head in the door. Like, that's one that, way to deal with somebody good. following you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the problems I had that's unfair to the movie is I watched the Maltese Falcon on Saturday. Oh no. Oh, oh no. <laughs> that is not fair. Oh yeah. That is that no. is watching a very good noir movie before a bad <laughs> noir movie. Yeah. Also oops. This movie that relies uh, on atmosphere, the like climax of the film is telling. Like this movie is all has all of these images and it's these like yep. these themes and these things kind of like here and there and then the the mystery is solved by the old guy like monologuing, you know. And it wasn't even like it's not even about him. This old yeah. this the guy that like unravels the mystery is it's just exposition and it's not even the guy like if it was Mickey Work remembering everything suddenly. You know, but no, it's some or other Mickey dude. Or Mickey putting the pieces together in a way that unlock his memories. Well, like, yeah. He's putting the pieces together, yeah. apparently, in a way that makes him thrash around on the ground and vomit and yell a lot. And, like, it just makes the scene harder to understand. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, well like, like, again, I, I, I hate the way that whole sequence is presented as a twist. Yeah. But we've known, like, any viewer paying the... Mm, you you could have been on your phone the whole movie <laughs> and figured out what was going on by this point. Yeah. You know? And, like, again, I have to think of, like, the old boy ending, like, when he... You know, when, when the main character of that movie has this horrible realization at the end as very explicitly explained to him by the, by the villain of the movie. And there's a specificity to it. There's an immediacy to it. And like, 
you know, the, the, the performance around like the horrifying reaction that he has to finding out what he's done. Like we feel it in a very real way in this movie. There's so much wrong that <laughs> it's hard to like, it's Mickey Rourke, like screaming and thrashing around just because of the sheer weight of, of his realization or because he's about to go to hell. Like, and he's also been remembering shit from this a bunch of times during the movie. Like we have a bunch of flashes of the new year's Eve thing. And then like the weird zoom on the fan and like all these things that don't really come together until this dude just describes the scene and you know and i think that's another difference between with old boy is that like with old boy that there, there was a there was a cohesion to the pieces yeah that once it was described it was like okay it fits together and in this case we have these pieces that like the guy just doesn't want to put them together and like it doesn't really you know no matter how you look at it you can't say it's denial or anything just so confusing like you can't really you can't really follow it in a way that when it comes together it is satisfying and and it's unfortunate because i think that this movie's idea of like this guy who is basically like tracking himself and he's great idea yeah and there's something almost kind of cliche about and I can't think of any other examples, but it feels like it would be a cliche of plot twist. Noir guy is investigating person who turns out to be himself. Also, it's like normally there's like an obsession there or like something that like he thinks is tying them together. It feels just so, so disinterested. Yeah. yeah. Like he's investigating like what turns out to be himself. But also up until then, he really doesn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah and he does like, all this. Man, this Johnny Favorite guy's a real son of a bitch. <laughs> At various points <laughs> of the movie. Yeah, like, but he keeps yeah. doing these horrible, horrible things to people. Like even the stuff that he does on screen, where you know, like stuff the note in Two Tweets Mouth. Like that is also really weird because he doesn't seem to give a that and like other than just being racist, he doesn't seem to give that much of a shit about Johnny Favorite. You, you know, in a lot of noir movies, like, the lead will, like, rough up a guy, and you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, that's not very nice, but he's a tough noir guy. That's how he's gotta be. And in this movie, it, it just felt like, like, Harry Angel is just unnecessarily rude. Yeah. But, but it's, it's a little further than that, because it's like, uh, oh, I'm gonna beat the crap out of you, and then, uh, Here's my number if you think of anything. You know, I'm going to be in town for a few days. Just give me a call. Yeah. And, yeah there's oh, a certain amount the whole, of like, the the guy York... up at which point you don't give him your phone number and your hotel address. Are we told that, like, yeah. he gets all his info from just a woman who works at the New York Times who he just graphically has sex with? Yeah. Who's the only <laughs> scene in the movie is her coming in, getting undressed, and info dumping him, and then having sex with him. Man, we she, thought she Game of Thrones in... invented sex position. No, fucking Angel Hard was doing it decades before. Just <laughs> hardcore nudity and fucking while getting dispassionate exposition dumped on the audience. <laughs> Sorry, Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's because like we have seen this plot of the character who's tracking themselves and that's Fight Club. But 
Fight Club also, I mean, there's a lot of different, there's very many red herrings of Fight Club that make it like. It's very satisfying when all the pieces come together. And yeah. Yeah. It also came out after, and maybe they looked at this as an example of what not to do. Like, yeah. Also, David Fincher is, I mean, Alan Parker, yeah, he's got a lot of Oscars. David Fincher is David Fincher. I mean, he made Alien 3. He did make Alien 3. I mean, Uh, in all fairness, David Fincher is not a knight, and Alan Parker was. But, you know, David Fincher, I don't know if David Fincher can. Is he British? I don't think he's British. I'm pretty sure he's American. Look, David Fincher was a yeah. bird that was turned into mm-hmm. a man by witchcraft. So let's all just appreciate, you know, how good he is at directing, given that he is a literal bird. Wait, hey, you guys want some good music videos, too. Yeah, that's really good music. What? You know a real fun Wait. fact? IMDb is beating me this one. Mediasite Complex chose Lisa Bonet's scene as number 11 of the 15 best topless moments in mainstream horror movies in 2020. She was eighteen. Complex. Thanks, complex. Like, like, like. Uh, not even, not even thinking about the fact that she, she's eighteen because I don't like to think about that. It's just like the context. If you know the context of the movie, every single topless scene with her is horrifying. Yeah, and yeah. and we were already making this podcast when that article was written. Just to put that out there, just in twenty twenty. <laughs> That article complex. Are you sure this isn't Cinema Sins? Okay. I mean, it is a Cinema Sin. Um, yes. <laughs> but in the more literal. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so progressive politics. Is this movie feminist? No. Fucking no. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. How does this movie handle race? I would argue this is an actively racist movie. I don't know if it's like. No, no, it's not. Racist, no, I, you but know it what? That's accidentally very right. You know it what? That's right. No, I am. You're right. You're right. It is too far to call it an actively racist movie. Like, like, no, I don't, like I don't birth think it's the nation. trying to hurt anyone. It just doesn't care We're about like I, not supposed to sympathize with n word dropping sweaty cops. Well, no, yeah. but also, I don't think the guy who I think the next film he directed was Mississippi Burning is is someone who genuinely wanted to be a racist person. So, yeah, I think if anything, fair, it's fair. still like we should you can still argue that it's racism, intentions. but the particular racism it is is a fetishism rather than like. Yes. Yeah, that the yeah, fetishism, Lisa, insensitivity. Lisa, it's insensitive, it's ignorant, and yeah. things like that. It's, like, it's a more passive kind of race. Lisa yeah. Bonet's character isn't there to be, like, a character. She is meant to, like, titillate the audience, scandalize the audience, and then, like, cathartically, and then, or not even cathartically, but just, like, grotesquely die for the audience. Yeah, I mean, the role that she plays in this movie is very similar to the role, oh gosh, I can't remember the the actress's name in Jacob's Ladder, but the Tim Robbins, the woman that Tim Robbins is involved with in Jacob's Ladder, another movie that's really great with uh, subtlety, I think her name is Jezebel, which I'm like, okay guys. Um, <laughs> much better movie in general, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I oh, love Jacob's Ladder. I love Jacob's Ladder. I do have to say, actress who spent her life in the most wholesome, ch- like children's show, immediately branches out to a role where she has, where she like 
get shot in the genitals to death feels like a joke from a bojack horseman episode yeah i mean and that's the thing is like she doesn't play the same character as jezebel because she is ultimately innocent you know like it would be one thing if she was there and she was like placed by the devil to be like yeah you gotta tempt him oh I know we're on themes and stuff. We didn't talk about the devil eyes. Can we talk about the devil eyes and the craziest fucking moment of the whole movie when the little kid points and has devil eyes? I don't know what the fuck that was about. (laughs) That that was was such a bad special That is so cut to the shifty-eyed dog. Like, it's so... (laughs) Yeah. And and, and by the way, film technology had reached the point that you could have good, scary evil eyes because thriller the, the thriller <laughs> video only came out what like two three years before this movie so it's literally one shot of de niro and another shot of the little kid you cannot convince me that eyes, nero's so. eyes are not already scarier than those demon eyes they, like, yeah. they, don't, they didn't need it at it's all so fucking fight i laughed so hard oh goddamn time no the, so much more when it was the kid i didn't yeah. laugh at the kid well i might have laughed in like a horror because this is already the scene where they've revealed that this man uh slept with his daughter and killed her by shooting her again by putting his gun in her vagina and firing <laughs> but apparently her son was there just hanging out the whole time and also, he has demon eyes. Like, well, that's the yeah. thing. It's like, it's like a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat. Like, yeah. okay, but that's the, it's like that's what made it so funny to me is that it is this like, yeah, you shoved like your gun into her vagina and shot her to death. Like, it's such this horrible, grotesque, depressing, like just noir crime scene. And then this little kid comes and then just turns into a monster face. It feels like the punchline to an I think you should leave now sketch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really does. No, I, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, just it, the scene how the kid's face was like there, it was like clearly like, like, oh, like, uh, super you know, over the, Yeah. It was like, oh, God. It was, it was really a very scary. bad bad special effects bad job Sorry, I, will, guys. I will give this movie credit for two moments that like genuinely made me made me go ah when we were looking at it which is like the moment where robert de Niro is eating the egg and salts it and then blows the salt off and mickey rourke picks up the salt off the table and throws it over his shoulder yeah i was like is that it's funny because you're eating with the devil currently like he's right there it's hilarious um, <laughs> And the like, and then that there's there's a line that Robert De Niro says to him in like the final scene that they have together that I was like, that seems like he's quoting something. And IMDb, sure enough, confirmed he says, "How terrible is wisdom when it brings no profit uh, to the wise," which I was like, "Oh, that's from Oedipus." Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that they did. Sure. Uh, I'm glad that they were there. Of course it's from Oedipus. I mean, they had to acknowledge it. Biblical stuff, yeah. We got a real light hand at the writing and directing in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Man. I think Coppola must have watched this before he did Dracula, right? (laughs) What is this but more? Unless, you know, 
He's like, let me bring this Ray kind B. of subtlety to my film. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I did it. You did a vampire sound. Uh, Is that vampire for mid? <laughs> so, was this movie feminist? No. 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 Did this movie handle race well? No. No. Uh, was this movie queer? No. No. Oh, somehow, very straight. Except Trevor De Niro's acrylics. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it has to be said. Gay coded devil is still a trope. You know, as as much as the devil can slay, you know, the gay coded devil. We could talk about it, that. It is. It is great that like. That's the most femme-coded Robert De Niro can get is, like, acrylic nails. Like, that's as, hey, hold that's on as femme as we can get De Niro. He had that hold big on. Ass I've seen Stardust. Pentagram. I know that's not true. Yeah, that's just... Yeah, okay. fair, fair, nice, fair. nice pull. You yeah. did Stardust, it. where he is the gay captain of the Sky Pirates. And that's all, true. And he's that's been true. hiding it, but it turns out all of his men already know and accept him. I, I've never Bad seen movie. this movie. I, I, maybe I should. It's uh, it stars too. Charlie Cox, like a very pre-Daredevil Charlie Cox. Okay. And it's the, it's based it. on a Neil Gaiman story. and I love Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it once. I think you probably only need to see it once, but yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It is very, ah. As yeah. In, yeah. It's, it's really at like a willow level, like of, of fantasy. Like it's not, yeah. amazing but it is enjoyable several times like okay i would say things, i mean there are things to enjoy about it there are also yeah. it's very easy to watch it from the year 2023 and go so yeah. maybe i should just read the book willow and go huh? um unless it's the show but the book is really good it's it's all illustrated by charles mass and it's gorgeous and, yeah, yeah i i should just read it anyway yeah yeah i yeah, do that um, okay, you should it definitely watch it for captain. Robert De Niro's performance. Yeah, as the musical loving gay captain of the Sky Pirates. It was yeah, that he doesn't not do enough book. fantasy. So yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah. So, but that's not this movie. No. Yeah, does this movie deal with class? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, doesn't have anything. I, good I, everyone was just generally um, poor, other than the priests and the devil. Like and like the, they, the they big really, money people. There's that scene you're talking about with the priest where it's like there's maybe something interesting there, but they're they're too busy moving on to the next scene. And moving yeah. on to the next thing that happens in this movie. Um, and there is a scene where it not only, you know, it's not only about race, but it's about money and the, the cops basically just spill it all and say, like, look, too sweet died. We don't give a shit. What's her nuts died? She's from old money. Like, now we're mad. I feel like there's, and I say it's mostly joking, so, so bear with me, but it's like, I guess there's something to say about at least the worst people to ever exist in this world are cishet white guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, like, but yeah, also, most so of the people in the movie are, are cishet white guys. Oh, they're, they're then... the worst. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of black characters in the movie. Well, they're not like really depicted as characters, though. They're yeah. just background characters, like, and they're also, I mean, our best is Toot Sweets, who's a jazz musician in Louisiana who also does voodoo, who carries a straight yeah. razor on him at all times. Yeah, if this movie had come out five years later, he also would have skateboarded. 
<laughs> I mean, he, but it's slightly, is it better or worse than like Bleeding Gums Murphy in The Simpsons? Like, I think it's par. With okay. That. I'm trying to get a gauge on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But at least, at least I, I, I don't know. Murphy. Bleeding Gums Murphy is depicted as having more of a personality. That's true. If you watch <laughs> enough of those episodes. Like also, he, he, he actually has a point of view. Yes. <laughs> and he's also meant to be he's, he's like a tongue-in-cheek parody yeah. character. Like yes. he's a commentary on that kind of trope. I do yeah, want to they say are the, one the depiction same we level, get... though, of, like, caricature, but only Bleeding Gums Murphy is intentionally a caricature. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. And even then, he is a more multidimensional character than Tootsweet. Yeah. Fair. All fair. Yeah, I, I do want to say we do, the one rich white guy we get other than our New Orleans gumbo man is... Uh, is the, the lawyer that now that's a movie I, now uh, that's a superhero movie i would go out to the theaters to see <laughs> yeah our uh, our lawyer that's working for de niro at the beginning who is just sort of depicted as like a a real scumbag this, this movie's got a lot of lawyer jokes up its sleeve but mm-hmm. uh this guy is also played by uh law and order svu's captain donald cragen you know uh dan florick who's you know in that and is in you may know him from the Flintstones film as Mr. I, Slate. I don't remember that, but also apparently Kyle McLaughlin was in that movie. And uh, Halle Berry was in that movie. Yeah, which I'm like, that's I, I know this is an audio medium, but I made an expression. Kyle um, McLaughlin did the Flintstones movie like almost directly after Twin Peaks. There's I mean, very little time out. between that. Yeah, maybe he's like, you know, maybe something that isn't creepy right now. Um, although well, you can you know. always you can always find out like it's always easy to piece together when an actor's show like ends and then immediately after they're in just like a whole string of terrible movies. That is where they really financially banked on their show not ending and then had to cover up the the shortfall real fast. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, uh, David Lynch. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant has been very public about, like, if you ask Timothy Oliphant, hey, why were you in the Hitman movie? He will say, well, they just canceled Deadwood and I bought a house. <laughs> yep. So it's like back to back that and what is it? Die Hard with a Vengeance or? Yeah. No, it's, no he would. It's live for your Die Hard be, where he's the bad guy. He will be straight up just being like, it's all just because Deadwood got canceled. Alas. Uh, so, so guys, do we recommend people watch this movie? No. No. They're, they're, they're saying, I, it's not the worst horror movie I've seen, but there are like literally hundreds of horror movies I'd recommend before this one. Yes. That's how I feel. I mean, I, like, don't, I don't hate this movie, but exactly. What I, I would I would recommend looking up like a YouTube clip edit of Robert De Niro's scenes just to see him like be the devil because like he's so good. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, if you he's can find so a menacing without being of... like over the top, I, I absolutely recommend anybody. a supercut of the De Niro scenes for sure. Yeah, the, the interesting thing to me is he doesn't threaten people and he doesn't lie. 
Like he doesn't yeah. lie to Angel the whole time. He's just sort of like slightly obscuring the truth. There, there are lives of omission. I mean, he's omitting quite a bit. Yeah. Also, he does all, a really great like prophecy-esque scene in the church there. And I think this movie is very much like the prophecy where like there's a lot of it you don't need to watch. And you just find a super clip of like Christopher Walken and Viggo Mortensen in the prophecy. And then like watch Robert De Niro in this and then go on AO3 and write your story about how you feel about all those characters. That's your Satan, Satan fanfic. Yeah, Satan, Satan, Gabriel. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't really think people need to watch this one. There's definitely things worth seeing in it. But I, I don't think it's quite worth its runtime, and it will leave you more frustrated than probably excited about it. Um, there, yeah. there are better Alan Parker movies to watch. Yeah, absolutely. There, are, there are better De Niro movies to watch. Uh, I mean, on on that front, do you guys have recommendations for people coming off of this movie? So I mentioned it earlier, but if you want to go for neo-noir at its best definitely check out chinatown starring jack mm-hmm. nielsen yeah yes pretty undeniable yeah yeah i, mean, I you like... know. yeah I, I was thinking uh, oddly enough it's not like it's not exactly a noir film there but there is overlap and it's more of a horror film and if you think about it you'll see where i'm going but john carpenter's in the mouth of madness mm. Yeah, that's actually good. Yeah, yeah, I, I great movie. I, 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 I'm just re- really curious to hear uh, the connection. If, it's a very it's, soon. It's it's instead of being a private eye, it's like, ooh, you have to go with this person. Like we're trying to get a hold of someone, and we don't know uh, what's going on. No one's seen this person in X amount of time, and they go, and then supernatural stuff happens, and, and things go awry. You know, what he thinks is real isn't real anymore, you know, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So there's that, like, through line there. But, but yeah. unreli- Unreliable narrator kind yes. of thing. So if you want another movie that kind of blurs the lines between horror and noir, but does both of them better, and it's actually from 1955. It does not merely take place in 1955. Let's Diab- uh, apologies to all French pe- speaking people. Let's diabolique. In some places, I think it's just known as diabolique. Yes. Um, yeah, in America, it's just titled diabolique. Yeah, it holds the fuck up. The tension and drama and, and suspense is all so tight. And, and the it, end of that you know, movie did to me what the people making this movie seemed to think it was going to do to me. Yes. Like, yes. Oh, they, uh, they uh, really don't, thought don't, they had something with this movie. Don't, don't they, look up the Diabolique ending if, uh, if you Diabolique haven't seen literally it yet. has a still at the end of the movie that says, don't fucking tell anybody about this ending. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll fucking find you. But, but we're not going to tell you we'll how it ends. you. But it's like it look ends... out for your friends. Don't tell anybody about how this movie ends. Like, yeah, this is pre-internet. A... They wrote this shit too. They were yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were just <laughs> like, don't fucking spoil it. Wild ending though. Also, there's no incest. You know, that's a plus. <laughs> no incest. I, I, I don't know. Can you consider it no racism if it's literally just all white French people? 
It depends on what they say and how they I say it. I don't think they say anything racist. I, I, I had a bad year or two since <laughs> I've seen the movie. No more racist okay. than usual, French people. <laughs> it's not more racist than this movie. That no, it's definitely watched. not more racist than Angel. <laughs> there you go. But, there you but go. yeah, uh, Diabolique. Put that on the poster. <laughs> Less uh, racist than Silver says, definitely not more racist than Angel Heart. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Same thing. But but no, fucking rules. I don't care if you're one of those people who who won't watch things in black and white. That's not a smart way to live your life. Black Uh, and white and a foreign language. God, that's what they put on like the poster for they slash like they slash them less transphobic than Ace Ventura Pet Detective. (laughs) (laughs) Is it though? That's actually you know in terms. Yeah. 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 Fair, yeah. Fair, fair. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm thinking like they're smarter. I know, I know what you're saying, but also, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There, the, there's a mathematical <laughs> equation that can, in fact, uh, prove that. If um, we're doing, if they're, if you're factoring in the scale of time, in- I've seen eight crimes that were less transphobic than Ace Ventura Pet Detective. The crying game is less transphobic than Ace yeah. Ventura Pet Detective. Uh, but anywho, rec- did we finish? <laughs> Sorry if I interrupted anyone's recommendations. Oh, I, 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 th- I think you're good. Uh, I, and well, you didn't I recommend, recommend right? I recommend Jake Slatter. That movie has a oh, twist yeah. better. Similar vibes, more on point, not as much racism. See, I don't think there's any incest. Yeah, I, I th- I'm pretty sure you're right about all. Yeah, of that. I think there's no incest whatsoever. It yeah. actually has it's, stuff to say about racism too. Let's it does have stuff to say this about- time. A movie that describes both that and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, th- I will say that Jacob's Ladder will destroy you. Like that, that's a movie that will destroy you. This movie is like, even though this movie came out before Jacob's Ladder, like that movie will take aim and like at your angel heart and destroy it so you know just be aware yeah that's uh, i i don't think a horror movie has ever made me cry i cry very rarely at movies uh but jacob's ladder is definitely the closest a horror movie has ever gotten me towards tears but one of my absolute favorites that's like you know it's so emotional and yeah i don't know i'm i'm just full of emotion just remembering that movie now well it's also tim robbins is so good at being just like the tallest baby that ever existed and like he goes around and he's like look tim robbins i'm really big and tall but i'm also very very cute and then, you know, all these things are happening to me and I'm just so involved. It's just wild when you also think about him in High Fidelity, but that's also hard. wild thinking about him. Remember when he was in the that uh, War of the Worlds remake that came out 18 years ago now? No, oh I, my God. I don't. I purposefully <laughs> tried to. I was 15 when I saw it and I loved it then. I have not revisited since. Um, he's the best part of that movie that scene where they get in his like home or like that's the that's a really great scene but yeah i've yeah. seen it so long yeah. i tried to forget about it but yeah so jake slider and also if you want to see something it like something kind of noir in louisiana that's also kind of spooky there's a true detective 
which I've been watching, and I'm like, there's some parallels here. I will not elaborate. <laughs> yeah. So if you enjoyed the the sort of noir and Louisiana aspect of this film, and you don't mind the incest, maybe, but you want something with less racism, Eve's Bayou is uh, there and is much, much, much better, better than movie. Oh, of, yeah. Uh, much better movie, Eve's Bayou. Yeah. It, you know, just to take a moment to sort of recenter Black people in this conversation. That's maybe if you're coming away from this and you're like, what if there was something like this that didn't leave me with huge racist vibes? Eve's Bayou is a good place to go. Got a, you know, largely, if not all, Black cast and, uh, you know, Black director and, and everything. So, yeah, check that one out for sure. If you haven't already, we have talked about it on here. If you love menacing Robert De Niro and you want to see him be menacing in a scary movie that's not this movie, go check out Cape Fear. This Hell is the yeah. 1991 Scorsese remake of Cape Fear in which he is the Max Cady. He is the big scary man. <laughs> and boy, is he menacing. And it's definitely a, wor- a movie worth checking out. That was the last movie I saw in theaters before lockdowns happened. Wow. They were screening it. Yeah, I, 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 that's not that's to say a long that. Long gap. Yeah. Well, nineteen ninety one. Then there was COVID. I, 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 I was born the year it came out, so I, I, I have been to the movie theater several times sense i don't think my parents took baby me to see cape fear, fear. <laughs> and, and if if you want scary robert de niro uh, that's a much better place to find it yeah yeah I, I would say that and i have trouble recommending that movie without also mentioning if you haven't seen it one of the great scary not particularly horror but scary movies of all time especially in the film noir genre which is night of the hunter has very similar vibes to Cape Fear. No Robert De Niro, but it does have Robert Mitchum being being very scary. Very scary. Mm-hmm. If Night yeah. of the Hunter doesn't bother you, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> You've yeah, and you might think like, oh, it came it, it came out in the fifties during like the the height of the film code. Like how scary it could actually be. They find ways. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another movie that was apparently. At one point, rated X by the film code, but like, yeah, <laughs> Night of the Hunters, you know, black and white, true, true noir film, uh, and yeah, people should definitely check out that. Uh, that I think does it for us on the recommendations. Greg, can you let people know where they can find you online? So, for a very limited time, most likely, you can still find me on Twitter at Greg Silber, but I, I, I am preparing to nuke that account in some form or another soon. Because what I said, going fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me feel like I'm gonna have a panic attack every time I open that app. So you can find me instead on Blue Sky. And if you need an invite, I've got a bunch that nobody's taking. I'm also on Instagram at Greg Silber. I am currently working on a book. It does not have a title yet, but I'm just letting you know that sometime in the future, I will have a book and I hope you buy it and enjoy it. We'll have you on to to promote it when it comes out. 
If Thank you were you. a person in the future, please go buy Greg's book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep an eye out. Stay tuned. Yeah. Right. And uh, Joe, what about yourself? Sure. I'm on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky at Joe Corallo. So that's J-O-E-C-O-R-A-L-L-O. And on Instagram at Corallo Joe. And uh, I've been promoting the uh, King Arthur and the Knights of Justice YA graphic novel reboot that I wrote that's going to be out March 12th. So that's through uh, Maverick, uh, the Mad Kingdom print. So people can, uh, you know, pre-order that. Or if you listen to it after March 12, you can just buy it. Nice. Yeah, go, go pre-order that. Go buy it. Maverick yeah. is a great imprint doing big things over there. And great. Ben, what about yourself? Yeah, you know, find me at uh, BenConComics.com, Instagram, Blue Sky, BenConComics. And, uh, you know, check out L. Campbell Wins Their Weekend and Captain Laserhawk, a Blood Dragon remix out in stores now. Fantastic. And Emily? Megamoth.net and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram. And uh, I'm also on Patreon and Megamoth, so check it out. Uh, Blue Sky, mostly Megamoth across the board. Fantastic. You can find me at jeremywhitley.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. You can find me at Blue Sky and Tumblr at Jeremy Whitley and you know, jeremywhitley.tumblr.com. You can uh, find my new graphic novel with Jamie Noguchi, School for Extraterrestrial Girls Volume 2, which is called Girls in Fight, which just came out. Uh, you can check that out at your stores right now. Uh, it released in november um and i have a uh, another book coming with my uh my friend and illustrator megan wong in february just called the cold ever after that's coming from titan is available for pre-order now and uh is is a noir in its own way itself so interesting to this one and of course you can find the podcast on patreon at progressively horrified on our website at progressively horrified that transistor.fm and on twitter at prong horror pod we would love to hear from you and uh, speaking of loving to hear from you, wherever you're listening to this, we would love it if you would rate and review it. It helps more people find the podcast, which helps us keep doing it, which really just is helping you in the end because you get more content that way. Thanks again to Greg and Joe for joining us, guys. This was a fun conversation about a movie that was an interesting watch. <laughs> so, yeah. to speak. so much to talk about. Y'all are real troopers for coming on. I wasn't bored. I've got to give it that. There you go. There you go. I was was mostly just confused. It's fascinating just looking at Mickey Rourke looking not like Mickey Rourke today. Yeah. 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 That gets you through so much of it. You're like, oh, wow. That's wow. Like, if I didn't know anything about Mickey Rourke, if you showed me. Angel Heart Mickey Rourke versus I don't know the wrestler Mickey Rourke or or Iron Man Two Rick Mickey Rourke. <laughs> um, I would be like, no, you can't fool me. Those are two completely different men. That's a different gentleman. Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe the most notable thing about Angel Heart that we didn't talk about is that somehow it managed to cause a thirty-year rivalry between. Robert De Niro and Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke apparently still hates Robert De Niro, and Robert De Niro doesn't seem to know why. So, <laughs> it's a very, Love it. very one-sided rivalry. Amazing. Incredible. <laughs> uh, well, 
uh, with that bit. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Thanks to Ben and Emily for being here, as always. And until next week, stay horrified. <laughs>